podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everyone, it's Adam here from DNF1. Just before we begin the podcast, I wanted to quickly share with you some exciting news. For this month, the DNF1 podcast is proudly sponsored by... Manscaped. For the entire month of March, you can get hold of some great Manscaped products like their best-selling razor, the brand new Lawn Mower 3.0, which is now waterproof, and plenty more other great products on their website for 20% off and free shipping. Oh my God! Wow! All you have to do is head over to manscaped.com and use our promo code DNF1 to receive 20% off your order and also free shipping too. We loved using Manscaped products and we know that you will too. So make sure to get yours now. Trust us, your balls will thank you. And welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and rumours in the Formula One world and we relay that back to you guys for your viewing or listening pleasure, depending on what podcasting platform you decide to follow us on. And of course, today is the final car review i know some of you guys have been completely bombarded and overwhelmed by the constant reviews that we have done during this preseason period and now it has finally come to an end with our final episode the ferrari sf21 has finally broken cover last of the bunch certainly not the least and courtney this is one in particular i was very much looking forward to i'm sure a lot of people were interested to see what ferrari had done over the winter break to try and claw back that huge performance deficit that they faced last season. And one thing I I know a lot of people were very interested in was how the car was going to look from a livery perspective. And now we know that Ferrari are one of those teams that can have a relatively similar livery and they don't change much from year to year. And we just know and love that about Ferrari. We love the red. We know that they don't really change too much. But this season in particular, they went for something very, very bold. Um, not to mention the new Mission Winnow logo on their car. Perhaps you, you're probably best to explain what exactly they did for those of you that haven't already seen it. Well, the Mission Winnow sort of logo on the back of Ferrari has always kind of tainted the cars, in my opinion. They always, they always have. But for whatever reason, whether it be a market employee, whether it is just to get some attention, they've made the logo on the rear of the car green. And to be honest, it doesn't fit in. It makes the car look ugly. And some of you might be watching, oh, why does it matter how a car looks? With Ferrari, it does matter because Ferraris are supposed to be beautiful. It's a well-known thing. So when you when you wait for a Ferrari to come out, obviously the performance of the car is important, but compared to other teams, the aesthetics of the car is important. And... I have to say, I think this Ferrari is probably the ugliest we've seen since 2014 when it looked like a Hoover. Oh, well, I mean, that was definitely not the best looking car I remember back then. Um, Yeah, Ferrari have always been one of those teams that 
you know, being an Italian based team, you're always associating Italian manufacturers with uh, car designs that are slick, elegant, sporty, beautiful, but equally fast as well as that. Then, you know, they're not just for show. And Ferrari in Formula One have often had some of the best looking elegant cars and fastest cars that you will ever, ever see in its history. However, of recent years, they've always had the potential to produce more like that, like they did, but they always seem to go safe or they, if they try to go a bit radical, they go the wrong way. This seems to be another one where if you had, if you remove that logo, the green logo, I really, really do think it's a lovely looking car in terms of the the base or the color scheme that they've gone for. They've obviously kept the matte red at the front and have gone for the more burgundy red as it transitions the further back to the car that you go, similar to what they did in Mugello to celebrate their 1000th Grand Prix to, you know, as a reminder of their heritage, of course. Um, and with this car, it looks great. But that green Mission Winnow logo. Now, we don't know if it's for marketing purposes for testing and that they're just going to get rid of it at the start of the season or it changes to black like it does elsewhere on the car or if it's going to be down to the fact that we won't see it very often because of the controversy around Mission Winnow as a sponsor with its third-party ties and everything else to uh, tobacco companies. We'll have to wait and see because it's obviously been appearing on the car in previous seasons and then not appearing in other races. You know, that's that's how it is with Ferrari. They always have sponsors in their history. Um where they've done that in the past and they've had different versions of it, but to make you recognize it, but not actually obviously branding it. So it's an interesting style, not a popular one. Um, and, and yes, guys, you had heard that right. Green on the Ferrari. Now, of course, green being one of the three colors of the Italian flag, it's not something you wouldn't expect to see on a Ferrari, but not quite in the way that they have done it in this particular way. I mean, Courtney, you often, it looks tacky. Yeah, you often talk about Ferrari being a national institution and yeah. I don't think, that would have been in their minds when they decided to make that green. Well, yeah, if you have a look back, like me, me and you discussed this um, earlier on today. If you have a look back to, uh, I think it's like 2015 to 2017, they went for the Nicky Lauda era um, Ferrari where you had the, the white uh, front wing and sort of the white trim across the top with the Italian uh, tricolor pretty much mm. along the top there. And those cars are beautiful and that's how Ferraris look. Ferrari might not have always been performing at their very best, but at least they had one half left their identity going for them where the cars look good. But ever since this company had taken over, I don't know, I, I, I just think it makes the car look cheap. And if Ferrari pride themselves as a top team in Formula One, I think the appearance of the car is quite important. It's very important. I would say, you know, Ferraris of the of previous years have always been very, relatively very good looking cars. I mean, my personal favourite in recent memory has to be back in 2007. Ironically, that's the last time Ferrari won a Drivers' World Championship with Kimi Raikkonen. That shade of red, that Rossa wine shade of red is so, so beautiful in the car. And I would love to see Ferrari bring it back. Um, perhaps it might be more fitting to bring it back in 2022 with all new regulations and everything else. So perhaps they might have that in mind. As I said, I do like what they've done with the car in terms of the base. You know, take all the stickers and everything off. It looks beautiful. I love that. Uh, very, very nice design. But that green is so obvious and it's so hard to miss. You can't miss it. it. Like It's there. So we'll have to wait and see if Ferrari do decide to run with that. But one thing it has done is it's it's all about marketing, isn't it? We, we're talking about it on here. Uh, Williams did the same thing with their car. Mercedes with the AMGs all over the back of their car. It's a marketing ploy. 
and people will talk about it. So perhaps Ferrari are doing this purely just for that, or maybe they are just going to run with it for this season and see how it goes. It's certainly something you won't miss. Um, and, you know, we already were treated to a green car in Aston Martin, which does look beautiful, but not quite, uh, you know, not quite the same way as the mission window stands out on Ferrari. But, um, are you are you seeing a trend here though? Are you seeing a trend here that sometimes the the title sponsors of these cars actually spoil delivery? Yeah, I understand they're paying a lot of money. They want their logos to be noticed, but I don't know. Maybe negative attention is still attention. People are talking about these companies, so hey, maybe that's what they want. I don't know. I'm 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 just being a, I'm just being a, an F1 nerd, I guess. But I don't know. It bothers me. It bothers me. It depends. I mean. You know, we're older F1 fans and obviously the new generation coming through. So we are akin to remembering some of the great liveries of the past. I mean, um, the McLaren back in the early 90s and late 80s, it was iconic for a lot of reasons, particularly with Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost in particular. The red and white livery was obviously influenced heavily by a tobacco brand. Um, and, you know, that was a great iconic livery. The same with the Williams in the early night, I mean, we were talking about Williams in the last episode. The livery on the FW14B back in '92 was influenced by a cigarette brand or tobacco brand, and you know that was a beautiful, iconic livery. So there is good and bad ones. It just depends on the company that you sponsor with and how it fits into the values of your team in terms of the foundational colours. I mean, if you had a Ferrari that was completely taken over by a brand of you know whatever it is a title sponsor that has a specific color scheme for their livery and it influences the whole livery then of course then it becomes an issue unless it's red you know and and that's and and in a weird way i suppose ferrari have gone with that logic because they did the same thing themselves in the early 2000s and late 90s and it works obviously you know as a sponsorship perspective and a moral perspective it's not the message you want to send out to young fans watching of course, you want them to see sponsors on the car that are going to be akin to values or, or products that they, well, may not necessarily buy themselves, but stuff that won't exactly be a detriment to their health in the same way that they used to be. But that aside, of course, we've said enough about the livery already. You guys can cast your own opinions on what you think on the Ferrari, but it's certainly something that has drawn a lot of attention and a lot of discussion so far. Let's talk about the car because the car itself is... That's obviously the major thing. It doesn't matter how it looks. If it's fast, I don't think anyone's really going to care how the car looks ultimately. Um, Ferrari were expected to do a lot of changes to this car within the regulations. Of course, let's not forget there's only a two token development system that they can do on mechanical parts. And Ferrari, of course, were going to prioritize the rear end of the car. Enrico Guardelli. You know, I'd already mentioned that they were going to focus on the rear of the car. So there's a brand new rear suspension. Uh, you know, the, the new bodywork around the engine cover and the side pods has now got more of a downwash effect. So it's a similar way that Mercedes have done. Uh, no bulge on the Ferrari, though, by the way. Um, so, you know, that that's one thing that we don't have to worry about on the Ferrari this season. Um, you know, it's a brand new transmission as well. Um, surprisingly, you know, they focus a lot on the rear end as well. And we'll talk about the engine in a moment. But one thing I did see that did surprise me a lot was they have made some changes to the front of the car. On the front wing, it's a lot different now. They've got the mounted pillars, which are a lot closer in. They've gone for um, something similar to what Sauber have done, or Alfa Romeo in this case, with their nose design. They've changed the nose slightly at the front where the cape underneath sort of, um, it twines over. It sort of flips over a little bit. and and it sort of tucks in to open more space to manage the airflow more effectively in that part of the car. And 
the reason why I think they've done this is it's one long piece of aero bodywork. It's not like made up in segments and it sort of filters the air through underneath the nose and through it and then filters it down to the bottom of the car with the new floor to create that extra vertical suction. And that's a really nice feature on the Ferrari. I must say it does seem to look really nice. Hopefully it's quick. It's something we saw similar on the Alfa Romeo to a degree. Ferrari have done their own version of it. Um, so, of course, you know, the, the synergy relationship between Alfa Romeo and Ferrari still exists. And it makes sense that the cars are going to have similar facets in that regard. Ferrari have also complemented this with new fins on the top of the nose as well, Courtney. I don't know if you've seen similar to what Alfa Romeo have done. So, you know, the, both of those cars had similar characteristics in terms of where they were weak in slow to mid-speed corners. It clearly shows that Ferrari have gone a similar route in terms of, in terms of improving that. And perhaps this is a good sign. If, you know, sometimes if multiple teams are doing the same thing, it can only be a good thing. But of course, the flip side is they may both get it wrong. But, well, you know, we'll have to wait and see how that works. I think the main thing with Ferrari, though, is the engine. Because we saw what happened last season. And the, shall we say, the results of the work they've done over the summer, um, over the winter break, could be one of the biggest defining uh, parts of the season, really, because if Ferrari get it right, they could be challenging towards the top. And it also affects the midfield battle. You know, we, we could be seeing the likes of Alfa Romeo and Haas higher up than we originally, originally, you know, originally thought. So if they get this right, we could be in for a much tighter midfield battle. Could well be, or we could be in a case where Ferrari, ideally, they would like to be out of the midfield battle and be in a class B, effectively in third place all on their own, uh, as you know, Matteo Bonotto would put it. That would be the ideal situation. But you're absolutely right, Courtney, to point out the engine. Um, you know, speaking of which, the launch itself, this was one of the best Ferrari launches I think I've ever seen, purely and simply because it was 10 minutes long. There wasn't any dancing or massive production or anything. It was just images of the car. They had a nice 3D render of the car, uh, like a digitized image of the car being drawn out. So any expert aerodynamicists out there that want to draw scale replicas of the Ferrari and try to find out the inner facets, they didn't have to. They'd made one for them. It was brilliant and really nice touch. And then, of course, Matti Binotto moved over to... Um, Enrico Gualtieri, who was talking about the engineer of the car, he's the chief engine expert at Ferrari, along with Enrico Cardile, obviously the chassis specialist um, at, we've already talked about. But Enrico was talking about the new engine, stuff that they've changed. Now, of course, there's been a lot of press over the winter break in Formula One over this new Ferrari engine, of course, at the centre of the controversy last season with the fuel flow gate, with... Um, uh, you know, with the FIA. And of course, that really hindered them because the car they built last season was very draggy and very much designed around the engine that they would have had, but they never actually ran because it was deemed illegal, at least not in the right spirit of the rules. So they were massively compromised in 2020 because of this brand new engine they had to make at the last minute. And effectively, it wasn't very, very good. No surprise. This new engine for 2021, a lot of stuff has been changed. More thermal efficiency with the uh, turbocharger, the internal combustion unit has obviously been improved. The electronics, including improvements to the MGUH and MGUK, those areas have been heavily focused on. And Ferrari obviously have done a lot of development over the last year on improving this new engine for 2021 with only one opportunity to really introduce all of those upgrades as the other teams will have as well. So, you know, under the rules, you're only allowed one upgrade per season. And then of course, in 2022, 
they're going to get one opportunity to provide an engine that is going to support the car for the next three seasons. So it's absolutely critical that the development on these engines are spot on. And hopefully for Ferrari, it's a good sign from what we've been told so far. I've noticed a change in uh, mindset with Ferrari and it could work because we've discussed Ferrari in many episodes in the past and they've become the victims of their own sort of success and the size of their fan base. And, you know, the reason why I bring this up is because you mentioned the actual launch and they've kept it short. They've kept it humble because if you create a load of hype around the, the launch of a car, it raises expectations. And it doesn't matter how big your team is, you're still competing in a very competitive grid. And if you just put yourself on that kind of pressure, if you add that added pressure to a team that's already under pressure, given the fan base they have, you're asking for trouble. And it's shown over the past decade or so. And I don't know if it's down to the change in management, but it seems to me that they, they seem more humble. They seem more realistic. They're aiming more for the long term not the short term. And I think this could work. I think this is the sort of mindset that Ferrari should have been looking at for many years, Adam. I don't know how you feel about this, but the signs are looking good for Ferrari at the moment. Sorry, I caught something in my throat there just as I was about to reply. Um, yeah, if people listening in on uh, the podcast rather than watching it are wondering what the hell I'm doing. Um, but no, um Basic with Ferrari, we, we did a video on this a while ago um, about Sebastian Vettel. If you remember that podcast uh, last year, Courtney, we did one about Sebastian Vettel and why That's right, yeah. the Ferrari time was ultimately a failure. I mean, we were preempting a little bit because of 2020, but given how Ferrari were performing early days, I think it was safe to say that Sebastian was not going to win the 2020 World Championship. Um, but with that in mind, in that episode, we talked about the uh, micromanagement, if you like, at Ferrari that really served to their downfall. Now, micromanagement is a term that anyone in any profession knows isn't used often in a positive light. It's usually used to describe how senior management get too involved to the point where they don't allow those that the experts that are delegated responsibility um, to rely on their technical expertise to flourish and it, it doesn't really produce many positive results. And the same happened at Ferrari. There were a lot of changes, as we talked about. I mean, Marco Mattiacci was the team principal at Ferrari when Sebastian Vettel was signed back in 2015. And literally within weeks of that signing being announced, he was sacked. And then, of course, they brought in Stefano Domenicali and then Maurizio Rivabene. And, you know, th those guys were very, very good. I mean, Stefano obviously is now taken over from Chase Carey at the top end of Formula One. And Maurizio Rivabene was you know, I thought he was a very good team principal at Ferrari for a lot of good reasons. Um, but ultimately, he was seen to be the middleman between senior management at Ferrari and the Fiat group and obviously the team itself. And perhaps the, the former got too involved in Ferrari's working operations to create this unnecessary pressure for short-term success. Ferrari since then have obviously tried to shift it the other way now the balance with Louis Camilleri and John Elkin obviously now the joint CEO of course the former now stepping down for personal reasons so it's really on John Elkin um, to lead that front with Matty Bonotto as his right hand man as team principal and Ferrari as you said Courtney have operated this new change of ethics over being more patient chasing the long term being more realistic and trusting their experts to do the job that they are hired to do so i mean ferrari don't just hire idiots they've got they've had some of the best people in formula one history working in their team some of which have left and gone on to work at other teams i mean all jokes aside p1 
people that tend to leave Ferrari tend to go to rival teams like Red Bull, Mercedes, and end up being successful. James Allison being the obvious example is a prime example mm. because you know it doesn't matter how talented you are if you feel appreciated or you feel you're working in an healthy environment it's so much more likely you're going to produce the best product that you can and obviously the slightest margin of formula one makes a massive difference mm. and it shows like james allison's move to mercedes is a prime example because he has certainly extended Mercedes' dominance of Formula One. You know, at the start of the, the um, hybrid era, it was sort of thought, you know, uh, Mercedes are only dominating because of the engine side. They're not so great on the aero side. But James Anderson joining made them made them a little much better on the aero side and made Mercedes a complete package. And it, it's clear, it's clear that, you know, James Allison enjoys working at, Mercedes, where there's a, a say how it is approach, get it out there, get it dealt with, and there's there isn't a toxic environment. Whereas with Ferrari, look, we're not we're not insiders at Ferrari, but given sort of the chopping block mentality that is at Ferrari, it just seems like a high pressure environment, and it just seems that the moment someone makes a mistake, they get jumped on rather than taking responsibility as one big team. Yeah. And I don't know, I, it just seems that change in management is exactly what Ferrari needed, but they need to carry on with this mindset for them to compete at the very top in the coming years. It's building blocks. They have to, you know, they've got a good foundation. They are the biggest, most successful team in Formula One. That heritage and that history and that success, of course, does not guarantee that they will be successful, um, it, you know, straight away. They obviously have to work at that. Mercedes are the top team in Formula One and have been for some time. And even Red Bull, carry that potent threat on the same boundary and of course in 2022 it, it's going to be an equal playing field um, mm -hmm. in most cases so there's no guarantee that Ferrari should or will be successful with this project but it is a step in the right direction I think with this car that from what I've seen from an aero perspective and what I've heard from the engine side there seems to be significant improvements how significant they will be we don't know. We can't really quantify that until the car is out on track. And of course, Ferrari don't necessarily need to gain much of a net advantage over the midfield teams like McLaren, Aston Martin, Alpine and AlphaTauri to establish themselves as a comfortable third place team. And I think you and I would agree, Courtney, that has to be the not just the minimum, but the ideal scenario for Ferrari to establish itself as the third best team as soon as pre-season testing or the first race, perhaps, because... This is kind of where it goes to the next part that I think we should talk about with Ferrari, their 2022 plans. And, you know, you guys are probably wondering, oh, well, 2021 hasn't started yet. Maybe we shouldn't get too ahead of ourselves, but it's so significant. And for this next part of the podcast, Courtney, I think we should probably talk about why it's significant. So mm -hmm. to kind of set the scene on 2022, guys. As you know, of course, everything's been put on an equal playing field. The cars are all going to be equal within the rules. Of course, the we're teams... mentioning this regularly. Yeah, <laughs> the teams are going to have the opportunity with equal resources, equal budgets, etc., 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 with a cost cap to, you know, produce the best car they can of the new regs. Now, of course, these are the biggest changes that we've seen in a long time before, but maybe ever in Formula One in terms of the aero and how the cars will perform. But one significant factor that I believe Ferrari will pay close attention to and the rivals probably already have noticed is the new ATR regulations. The ATR scale regarding the aerodynamics. Now, 
to put this in plain English for you guys, this is the sliding scale of how much time is going to be allowed for each team to use their wind tunnels and create MF, uh, CFD parts for their cars over the course of the season. Now we get two times. Well, this is there's two occasions where this will be reviewed, one at the start of the season and one halfway through. The way it works effectively in short terms is the best team from last season, i.e. Mercedes, will have the least amount of time to use their wind tunnel and do some CFD runs, etc. And the team that's the worst last season, which was Williams, will have the most. And it's a sliding scale, obviously. The lower you finished in the championship last season, the more time that you will have to use your wind tunnel. Now, Ferrari came sixth last season's Constructors' Championship, which is the worst finish they've had since 1980 uh, you remember that car with Jules Villeneuve um, it was almost a crime that Jules had to drive that car in particular but a legend nonetheless for Ferrari um, for those of you younger fans who don't know much about Jules Villeneuve look him up there's a reason why a lot of people referred to him as the fastest F1 driver that ever lived not necessarily the best but the fastest there is a difference but I'll let you enjoy that one um, before I digress any further but with Ferrari, of course, coming sixth in the Constructors' Championship effectively means they will have the added benefit of having more time in the first six months of the season to take advantage of having more runs in the wind tunnel and more time to develop not just the 2021 car if they want to, but the 2022 car as well, because this affects both cars for next season. And Ferrari will effectively have as much as I think it was 12 to 15 percent more time to develop the 2022 car for the first six months of the season than Mercedes will, hypothetically. And in the second half of the season, assuming the performance criteria or the performance that we expect from both teams plays out the way that we expect it to with Mercedes at the fastest and Ferrari perhaps third at best, they will still have more time for the rest of the season than Mercedes yeah. will. So, you know, with that long explanation in mind, Courtney, would you say it's probably fair to, to understand now why Ferrari are so keen on maximising the opportunity for 2022, given that it's very likely that if Ferrari end up as the third fastest team by some margin in, uh, after pre-season or the first race or two, they may decide to drop all tools to 2021 and focus purely on 2022? Well, it's one of the reasons why they have this mindset, because if they carried on going, oh, yeah, we're going to be at the top and they put all the effort into this season and don't deliver, one, they're under pressure, and two, it could put the, it could damage their 2022 aspirations. So that, that, that's why like, the previous point I made about the change in mindset and why it's important, this isn't, this is an example why, because their call approach could pay off in 2022 and... As, as as much as I've sort of uh, mocked Ferrari in the past of being at the bottom, you want to be seeing a big team challenging at the top. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully they will be back there in 2022. Mm. And of course, there's no guarantee that Ferrari are going to get this right, because let's not forget, there are four other teams that will have more time to develop their cars than Ferrari, well, in theory, in Alfa Tauri, Haas, Alfa Romeo and Williams at this point in time. And we expect, given how we expect the season to go performance-wise early days. There will be more teams that will have more time than Ferrari later on in the season to catch up, albeit Red Bull and Mercedes not being two of them, which will please Ferrari fans in that regard. But, you know, with, with the new engine concept that Ferrari have been talking about for 2022, this new radicalised new engine concept that they're being very tight-lipped about and quite confident, if it works out, will be a game-changer in their opinion. Of course, we'll have to wait for another year to see how that works. But, um, 
that's kind of where the focus needs to be. And if Ferrari can produce a car that's comfortably the third fastest after preseason, they will be very happy to just say, okay, great. This car is fine. We'll keep keeping an eye on things. But as long as we're comfortable there, we should be safe to just prioritize 2022. They're not going to win the world championship. I think it's probably fair to say this season, but they very much could do so next season if they prioritize this properly. And let's not forget, guys, Haas have already said that they're focusing purely on the 2022 car. So that might force everyone else's hand to do something earlier, meaning that if Ferrari do decide to go early and develop the 2022 car as a priority, they're not going to suffer with a 2021 car because no one else will be trying to catch them up. So, you know, it's that balance. It's almost a case of who blinks first at the poker table. And if Ferrari do announce that that's what they're going to do, everyone else may decide to do the same thing to avoid them getting that advantage that they will have in that time period. So, it's a lot of boring stuff if you think about it in terms of looking through the politics and the technical regulations, but it's a lot of build-up for 2022. And yeah. whichever team decides to take advantage... I mean, Mercedes did this back in 2012 when the That's new right. regulations got published for 2014. And with their engine in particular, they were about 18 months ahead of everybody else in terms of development. Because for a long time in those reg- when those regs got published, there was so much delay that Mercedes had already experimented on concept of what it was going to be, knowing what they knew at the time. Of course, they didn't have any inside information. Everyone had a rough idea of what it was going to be, but the actual schematics weren't officially put out until later. Mercedes took a gamble and it paid off massively for them. And the same could happen for a Ferrari or anyone else that decides to take a gamble early and get it right. You know, that's kind of the beauty of the 2022 rules where we're at. So, of course, that's for next year. Let's not worry about that right now, but that's kind of... That's going to be in everybody's minds this season. Um, Courtney, let's bring it back to 2021 for the final part of this episode, I should say, Mm -hmm. on Ferrari. Um, Overall, they've got a brand new driver lineup in Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. That's another thing everyone should be excited about as well. I mean, given what we've seen with the Ferrari and where they've changed the car, I imagine Vettel would have done a lot better in this car than last season's one. I don't think it could have done much worse, unfortunately, for Seb. And I'm really glad... He's going to have a good car next season with Aston Martin by the looks of it. Um, the Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc debate. It's not been talked about too much. How big of a factor could this be for Ferrari's season between these two, especially if the only driver that they'll be competing with this season is their teammate? I have mixed opinions on this. I think overall it's exciting. But um, on one side, I've, I, was, I was thinking about this previously. There's no doubt in that Carlos Sainz played quite a big part in McLaren's rebuilding. Because let's, let's not forget, McLaren were pretty much at the bottom of the grid when he uh, when he joined. And he's left them as the third best team. And maybe that's what Ferrari had in mind. Maybe Ferrari saw the job he'd done at McLaren and thinking, you know, maybe we need a guy like this in our team to help us go f- go through a similar process because we're going through a, you know, a similar time ourselves. Mm. So I think it'd be very good for them in that sense. But Let's not forget, there isn't that much of an age gap between um, Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. And if he does well, I expect it to, to get tasted between them two. Because Carlos Sainz is already a fairly popular driver within the F1 community, given a relationship we have with Lando Norris. That's probably one of the biggest, sort of, most popular driver lineups on the grid last season. And I, do, I really expect it to get tasty because, you know, Leclerc is clearly the the main man at Ferrari at the moment. And if and if Carlos Sainz poses some kind of threat to that, then it will kick off. I've no doubt about that. Mm. And one thing Ferrari will not want is both their drivers 
developing some sort of fiery rivalry between themselves. Um, they'd much prefer the Lando Norris Carlos Sainz rivalry at McLaren, where it was pretty clean and it was equally close, you know, towards the end of the season in many ways. They would like something similar if Ferrari end up in a position, not just comfortably the third fastest team on the grid, and, but taking advantage of the odd race or the odd occasion that we saw last year when Mercedes and Red Bull weren't able to take advantage at the front. You know, Ferrari could find themselves in a position, and I think this has to be the objective for them, that when Mercedes and Red Bull, if they do mess up and find themselves out of favour, Ferrari are first in line to take advantage and pick up an unlikely win like at Racing Point did with Perez or Alfa Tauri with Pierre Gasly last season. That's where Ferrari has to be. If they are not in those positions when, if and when they occur, then there will be some serious questions asked as to why that is the case. Um, you know, in terms of winning races, of course, we've already said, I, we don't think Ferrari are really going to be in the hunt, but they may become more of a factor this season then not but of course we're talking this up Ferrari could equally have not improved as much as we'd have hoped and last season was a huge shock to the system when Ferrari was saying look this is the pace that we've got and everyone thought they were sandbagging in testing turned out they weren't they genuinely were off the pace but um you know I, I think for this season Courtney I think before we round this off on Ferrari where do you expect them to be uh this season in terms of the pecking order and where do you think realistically Ferrari will end up? I think they're going to finish third. It's just a case of whether they're going to be closer to Red Bull Mercedes or uh, sort of in a competition with the likes of um, McLaren and Aston Martin. Um, uh, With Ferrari, I don't know, it it just seems like we're in a bit of a time loop with Ferrari because it seems that every season there's a lot of hype around the team and then sort of nine times out of ten they fa- they fail to deliver and um what they do have on this side is that surely they can't be any worse than last season so i can only see an upward trajectory for them so yeah i think i think third would be a solid bet for them yeah i mean i would say for ferrari to really establish themselves as a comfortable best of the rest or a class b of their own if you like they probably need to find a net performance gain of around half a second. Now, that sounds like a lot, but if you think about it, a lot of that is going to come back from the engine, you know, the engine element that really plagued Ferrari last season and also played Alfa Romeo and Haas, let's not forget that. Um, The design of the car was very draggy. This season, of course, they've changed a lot on the car. I mean, it looks great in terms of a design element, not necessarily the livery, but... You know, the Ferrari have changed a lot on the car that made the car very draggy. Aero-wise, it looks a lot better. And Matti Bonotto said himself that the straight-line speed issue should be much less of a factor than it was last season. Perhaps that indicates that it may still be an issue in some ways, but perhaps not. You know, they might be on par. I think if Ferrari were happy to be on par with at least Honda, maybe, or maybe not, maybe a little bit off Honda, they'd probably be happy with that. So we'll have to wait and see where they are in that regard. Um In terms of the overall thing, I'm probably the same as you on this one, Courtney. I expect Ferrari to be at the front of the midfield. How much they will be by, I don't know. Ideally, I think it'd be great for them to be sort of on their own between Red Bull and McLaren. And let's not forget, McLaren themselves at times and Racing Point and Renault weren't too far off Red Bull and Mercedes at times. Um, You know, so it, it might be good for Ferrari. They might get in the mix. We'll have to wait and see. But I think 
that is the realistic aim for them. And I think that is something they will hope they achieve so they can focus on 2022, as we mentioned. So, but guys, let us know what you think about this um, with the Ferrari car. Where do you think they will be this season? And do you think it's realistic for Ferrari to, uh, you know, focus purely on the 2022 car with third place in the bag. Of course, a lot of prediction, a lot of assumptions here. We could be completely wrong and Ferrari could have another equally difficult season. And, you know, time will tell deciding what Ferrari decide to do if the first few races of the season, they're still struggling like they were last year. So we'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, we've now had every single car that's been unveiled to us, Courtney. So before we wrap this episode up, I'm going to ask you for your best looking livery or your favourite and also your least favourite looking livery. Um, I think at the top, I'm going to go with Alpine. I think solid start by them. And at the bottom, I'm going to go with my favourite team at the moment, Haas. Um, I don't like what... I, I, I just don't like what's going on there at the moment. And I, I, I think their livery represents exactly what's wrong with that team. But Ferrari are down there as well, though. I've got to say, Ferrari are down there after that, after that sort of... Let's hope, let's hope it is a publicity stunt for Ferrari's sake, but yeah, hat at the bottom, Alpine at the top. Well, my favourite livery of all the cars, the new cars that we've seen this season, is none of the F1 cars. My favourite looking car is the new Aston Martin Valkyrie safety car. Um, I don't know, if, for those of you that have seen, it's absolutely beautiful looking car. Um, the Aston Martin livery, that's what the Aston Martin F1 car should have looked like in terms of a livery. That's right, you know, I agree with that, I agree that, with that. That right shade of green and also the yellow line tinge or you know the yellow stripe they have along there that we believe was actually meant to be on the Aston Martin F1 car but of course with BWT being one of their leading sponsors we're going to have a bit of pink on that car and quite honestly Courtney in terms of the F1 cars itself the Aston Martin car is beautiful but the only thing that lets it down for me is that pink on it now I know some of you like that but for me it just looks like a watermelon so I'm not really keen on watermelon it's not my thing and I don't think it looks good on an F1 car if it had the yellow stripe instead of the pink one, it would be my favourite. But I'm going to... Yeah, but I think the DNF1 top F1 looking car for 2021 has to be the Alpine car. Not because it's blue. We're not biased in that regard, but there's a lot of blue cars this season, but it does look fantastic. And hopefully for Alpine's sake, it's as good as it's... Well, it's as good on the track as it is in the showroom. So, you know, well done to Alpine on that one. The least enjoyable F1 car. Now, this is hard because there's not... a it's not a bad livery, in my opinion. I think this is one of the best looking grids that we've seen, although I do agree perhaps I'm doing miss a yellow car would complete it, um, but we lost that with Renault. Um, oh, this is a really hard one for me to pick because I feel like I'm going to be controversial in picking a car that I've already said that I like the look of. Um, you know what? For the sake of the fact that they've been boring and perhaps not, not really changed much, I'm just going to say red as you know should i say red bull yeah the red bull looks good do you know what i'm, I'm gonna be really bad on this i'm gonna say mercedes i think it's i'm the least at least impressed not the least look best looking car yeah the one i'm least impressed with is the mercedes and that's and the, the reason it's the omg thing in it well yeah in in a way yes <laughs> but do you know what because of how amazingly good last year's one looked this one still looks really good but because of how good last year's one looked it left me a little disappointed that this one was not as good. I mean, if they just released the same livery as last season, I'd have been fine with that. And I thought, yeah, it's the typical. Look. It's a, it's it's a typical example of the sequel letting you down after the hype of the first one. 
Yes, yeah, so I'm the most impressed with Alpine and the least impressed with the Mercedes, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't like the Mercedes car. I mean, look, I, I, I love Ferrari cars and perhaps there's a hint of bias to that one and the green it does really let me down. But as I said, if they got rid of that, it's a fantastic looking car otherwise. Um, but, you know, those are just our opinions. It's on liveries. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day how the car looks in the showroom as long as it looks good on track and it's equally fast. The stopwatch is always the definitive factor. But, exactly. let us, but let us know what you think, guys, of course. What's your favourite livery? What's your least favourite livery? And, of course, let us know how you feel about Ferrari going into the 2021 season and what you think they can do. Of course, the final thing that's left for us to say, Pre-season testing happening Friday this week. Now, I know, guys, we said we were going to cover every single day of testing. We're not going to do that now because we've seen that by doing constant podcasts on each and every car in such a short time frame, you guys clearly are not able to keep up with it, some of you as others, except for the really we've hard We've learned a lesson. We've learned a lesson, people. We've a little, lesson. yeah. A little trial and error. So what we're going to do instead on Monday after testing, we're going to do one episode where we're going to cover all of the three days of testing and go through the, you know, some details, some new things we might see on the cars we didn't already see in the showrooms. And of course, our revised predicted pecking order for 2021. The season now is only weeks away and it's really starting to get exciting now with preseason just around the corner. And all that's left to say, guys, is a big shout out once again to our sponsors, Manscaped, for the month of March. 20% off your order and free shipping. Use the code DNF1 right now to get that amazing offer. And all that's left to say, guys, as I've said off already a few times, is thank you very, very much for tuning in. Stay safe, and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Podcast Network.